Welcome back to your listeners to this, the sixth episode of the Penis Dialogues. I'm your host, Chris Young, and in this episode, I speak with the delightful Graham Morgan, who, amongst other things, talks eloquently about what it's like to be a male victim of domestic abuse. Just as importantly, I think, he talks about what it's like to be the male victim of domestic abuse whilst carrying a label of schizophrenia. Keep an ear open for his set pieces. One of them, I'll let you decide which it is, filled my mind with the most beautiful images you can imagine. It's absolutely lovely. As ever, we speak about some challenging stuff. As well as his lovely adopted family, he tells us about two organisations who've been a massive support to him. Rape Crisis Scotland and Jeans Bothy. I've put links to both of them in the blurb. There's a there's a lot to think about. Remember, if you'd like to be part of this journey by being a guest or by commenting wherever you like, you can find me at Dialogues Penis on Twitter, or you can email me at thepenisdialogues at gmail.com. The podcast is available on Apple, Google, Amazon and Spotify, and I'd be delighted if you'd give me a follow, a comment or a rating, if that's your kind of thing. Welcome, Graham Morgan, to the Penis Dialogues. Thanks ever so much for joining me. That's lovely to be here, and it's lovely to see you again. Uh, when, when, when did we last... We've only met once. I mean, I keep thinking that you're, you, I've met you hundreds of times, but I've only physically met you once, I think. I'm not even sure. Have we actually physically met? I know you were going to stay at my house once when yeah. you were in Scotland, and I know we've talked, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure whether we actually met, but we've certainly been in contact for many years. I think we walked. Did you come to the event, uh, the Walk of Mine in My Shoes event in uh, Edinburgh? Did I walk along? Quite likely. I did go on one of those. So yeah, I think I walked with you for a bit. I didn't walk for you for the, for the whole journey, but yeah, it was it was a brief sort of 10 minutes that we yeah. we, we, we chatted. Anyway, enough of that piffle. So, um for my eager listener, can you give give them a sort of image of, of, of who you are? Well, my name's Graham Morgan. I'm 60 years old. No I'm way, you're 60 shocked. years No, no, no. You I'm look, very shocked at that. I looked like you when I was 20. God. Anyway, sorry, carry on. That was rude. <laughs> so, yes, I'm 60 years old and shocked at that reality. I find it very hard being, being older. Uh, I live with Wendy, my partner. Yeah. And her two twins, who are 12. Right. And that's lovely. I used to be married, but that wasn't so pleasant sometimes towards the end. And I have a son who's about 32, I think, now. But I haven't seen him for many years. Right. Um, I work in the world of mental health around rights and voice and speaking out about our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Right. I am the author of a few memoirs. I would love to be more imaginative and write novels, but I, I, I sort of lack imagination, so I just write about myself, I'm afraid. Right, um, right. I quite enjoy doing that. I do lots of walking with Dash the dog, who is our favoured person in the house. Um, <laughs> let's see what else. I'm not sure what else to say. No, uh, that, sounds, that sounds lovely. And um, yeah, there's so so much to sort of just scratching the the, the surface uh, are, are you happy with a a, a diag- with a label like that because it, it, it feels like quite a big one it's certainly a, a, a label that can attract um 
attention from people. Yeah, yeah. I very, very, very rarely had very negative reactions to it. Yeah. I, this is, this is at the very beginning of this interview, I'm going to really confuse things. I don't, I don't believe I have schizophrenia. Okay. But I believe that schizophrenia can be a good label. Right. And can be a good label for me. It, it explains things. I would much prefer to have schizophrenia than to have the beliefs I have and believe totally and utterly that they're true, which I tend to do. And are these beliefs that sort of ebb and flow? Yeah, they do. The last few months, they've not been so present, but generally I think I'm really quite evil. And um, I suppose my friends, family and the workers around me would yeah. say that those beliefs are kept at bay by the medication I take. Right. Whilst I tend to say that it stops me from being real and I need to face up what I, to what I am. But on another level, I would prefer not to face that because my fundamental view of myself is not very pleasant. Right. So it's a very confused answer to a very simple no, question. No, certainly <laughs> not. I mean, it's, it is incredibly confusing. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're walking on a kind of tightrope. Uh, on one side, you, you've got a, a you that you don't like. And on the other hand, you've got a kind of dulled version of a you that you, that you think is is more acceptable. Yes, that's probably true. That's that's one of the things I really struggle. Um, and it's making sense of all this morass of what mental illness might be. Some yeah, people with yeah. my medication really takes away some of the zest of me. Yeah, takes yeah. out the colour of my life. Other people would say that. Um, that might be the more negative parts, negative right. symptoms of schizophrenia. And I just tend to think I would love to have colour in a way I sometimes remember having. Yeah. Especially to give to my family, because um, I, I can, although I can speak on things like this, I can be very monosyllabic and very, very quiet. Right, right. And I have a lovely family. I would love to bring bring an energy and a zest to them in the way that they do to me. So sometimes you feel a bit sepia, perhaps. Yes, very much so. Right, yeah. crikey. Uh, what I've been asking folk, and feel free to you know follow this line of questioning or not, um, I ask people to give me a few set pieces in their lives that they, they remember that, that sort of helps describe you. Uh, um, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter which stage of your life it, it is, just something that, that, that gives us a feeling of, of again, of, of who you are. Oh, I don't know where to start. Oh. Uh, something came to my mind straight away, and I don't know why it's come into my mind. And it's maybe a way of describing me as a child. Yeah. Um, I I was sent away to a, a prep school, a boarding school, right. when I was nine. And um, first of all, I was very well aware that my parents wanted me to go, but they wouldn't send the, us there unless it seemed that we wanted to go. So there was a funny thing there where oh, we had to agree that we wanted right. to go, but we weren't sure what it was. And it was a bit frightening, and it was 200 miles from home. Right. I very much remember being in the headmaster's office with my mum talking to the headmaster. And um, we'd gone by taxi, and the headmaster sent me out with a pupil to look around the school. Yeah. And I told my mum to promise that she would be there to say goodbye to me. Yeah. And... um. Somehow she panicked about the taxi fee and went away without saying goodbye. Oh, man. And I couldn't believe that that had happened. So I spent the next hour just rushing round and round the school saying she would not leave without saying Trying goodbye. Trying to find you. Uh, and, to find her, yeah. um, that's a funny thing because I think I was a very 
quiet child. Yeah, yeah. And quite gentle. And going away to school was quite a alarming thing for me. Yeah. It was quite difficult to be away from family where there's no one to hug you and you have no possessions and things like that. It was a, a strange experience. I had some good times there, but um, it's certainly something I would never have done to one of my children to send them away from no. home in the aim of getting a better education. So that's that's one set piece. Would that do as a start? That That's a delicious. I mean, crikey. Uh, there's so many questions. Uh, so how were things afterwards with your mum? Oh, fine. Um, it, it was a, uh, a strange existence. You'll be away because we were a long way from home. We yeah. didn't go home on the weekend or we very, very rarely went home on the weekends. So you'll be away at school for the term time. And when the other children went home to see their parents, there'd be a group of about 10 of us left behind. Um, either those who had parents abroad or, or people like us. Yeah. And we would be allowed to go into the um, the sick bay where they had really comfy beds. And we'll be given a bag of sweets by the um, matron, as she was called. Right. And that was very, very exciting. I don't know why I'm going on this anecdote. Yeah. I think... Um, that's incredible. I, I had some lovely times. I did lots and lots of climbing and roaming in woods. And yeah, things like that. yeah. Things that you would never be allowed to do nowadays in a school. But um, there was an undercurrent for me and for other children where we didn't quite know why we'd been sent away. Right. Sometimes there were some boys who knew they'd been sent away because they were seen as a um, an encumbrance to their parents. They'd been more or less told it. They were a problem. And the, in, yeah. in the back of your mind, you thought, I've, they don't love us. And I've done something bad. Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. But I did have some lovely times and made, well, I can't say I made some lovely friends because I have no friends from those those sure, years. Sure. But, um, I, I did do, did have some good times. Yeah. But it is strange spending most of your life in a, in a dormitory with beds next to each other and not your own room and things like that. Although I suppose it happens to many people. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, to, to me, it sounds alien. It sounds really quite quite challenging. Do, do, do you think that experience contributed to your mental health in any way, or or, or is that a complete red herring? Do you think it might have done? I wrote about some of that in my last memoir, which is called Blackbird Singing. Yeah. And it's a very difficult thing to unravel. Um, and I don't, in a way, I don't necessarily need to know the answer. At the moment, sure, I'm sure. seeing someone from um, Argyle and Butte Rape Crisis. Right. And right. they're helping me deal with a very unhealthy relationship I had in my later years. Yes. But they're also helping me deal with the last, the, the school after that that I went to, which was... Um, a really, really unpleasant public school. Right, um, right. And in June, I was meant to be giving evidence against one of the teachers who um, indecently assaulted me and other people. Yeah. And that was dropped because um, he's seen as unfit to attend court, which is a strange, strange feeling. But that, that school was a horrendous place. I've heard it's better now, but it right. was really sexist, disabled, is every ist it could possibly be, it was. It was universal um, in its ists. It was universal in its ists. It was a Crikey. horrible, horrible place. 
And whether that contributed, I don't know. It may have been that my dad was in the Air Force and we moved, you know, by the time I got to that school, I'd been to 11 different schools by then. Oh, so wow. it's, a, it's a funny it's a funny experience. Um, a quite dislocated childhood um, with a re- close relationship with my brother right, and a relationship right. with my sister, which has become much closer now, but I, I very rarely saw her in my childhood. Yeah, yeah. And a good relationship with my mum. She was and still is just wonderfully nurturing and good people yeah my dad my dad i in later years i got to know him much much better but he was he was quite an angry man and quite a driven man yeah yeah um ambitious no yes he was ambitious and quite quite controlling i was quite frightened of him for sometimes right for many years, very, very angry with him. But the last 10 years of his life, I became very close to him. Okay. So I, I'm beginning to witter a bit. I've gone away from my set pieces and onto all sorts of stuff. I can't even remember what you're For me, the, uh, well, was, yeah, we were, we were on set pieces and then we were sort of, uh, I suppose, mixing, wondering where your mental ill health came from. Um, so, yeah, so, so that's that's a massive set piece. Do, do, you, have, do you have another set piece or...? Let's think. What could I think of as a set piece? I yeah. think I'll give. I'll, I've got. I'll give you two. The first Brilliant. one is um, Wendy. When uh, I, I was in, I, I knew her for for many years yeah. as a colleague, and then we got into a um, much closer relationship over the phone and internet and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there was this. Day that I will never forget where she decided to come up to see me, and we were both very frightened. Right. And we made each other promise to do that, to kiss each other the first thing we, we did when we saw each other. <laughs> and she arrived in Inverness train station. Yes. And um, there really was, for some reason, steam blowing around like in a Russian novel. And she walked out of the oh, steam. Were you both in black and white as well? <laughs> no, we probably were. <laughs> <laughs> and that was lovely, and, and we carried on kissing. Oh for the, the man, that's so powerful! It was it was lovely, and she's she's been. Um, before I met her, I, I had thought that um, I would really leave leave a a life that had become quite miserable. That I would grow old on my own and never be in a relationship. Sure, I couldn't sure. believe that would happen. And then suddenly, this beautiful, funny, clever person actually wanted me in her life. And that, that was quite, quite delightful and absolutely wonderful. Oh, that is brilliant. I I, I just loved, loved that image. So, so moving on, you said you had two, two more. So. Yes, I'll, I'll give you, actually, I'll give you three because that one will lead into something. <laughs> one was, um, this is a very strong memory. I, I, my dad's business was after he was in the Air Force was selling yachts and yacht charters. Right, right. And one one year, many many years ago, I was helping deliver a yacht back from the Caribbean to England, and there were only two of us. Wow. And we had no engine and only a small sail because the the other one had broken, and we were becalmed in the middle of the Sargasso Sea. Wow. And there was a night where. The sky was crystal clear yes. and it looked up. It was all stars. But below us in the sea, it was full of plankton with phosphorescence. Oh. So it was like there were stars below you. It was like you were suspended in the stars. And then there were um, dolphins weaving in and out around the boat, leaving golden trails as they went. And that was just 
absolutely lovely one of the loveliest times of my life i would love to go back to see again one day that would be that is astonishing i mean it, it just this notion of just floating in space with surrounding uh-huh. stars that's incredible god so i mean have you gone sailing since are you, 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 you i've gone just very very rarely with a uh hardly at all like just as a as a guest on a boat mm. it's lovely to go to see i love the love going to see that's and and I'll give you, give you a last because yeah. I'm now way over my allocation. No, no, you help yourself. This is your show. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a more uncomfortable memory and maybe is part of the subject of what we're getting onto. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe it's not. There was a time when I was extremely ill for what for any other word of yeah, saying. Yeah, sure. I was in a hospital, and. Um, I often say there's a very small group of us in the world who know what it's like to um, have to guess which nurse you're comfortable going in front of to the toilet with. Oh, because yeah. um, whilst I was extremely ill, I was determined to harm myself. And so yes. I had that yes. with me all the time. And so when I went to the toilet, and I'm a very private person yes. for these, yes. they would stand there and watch. And when they stood there with their arms on their hips looking straight at me. I couldn't do anything at all. Well, like most people, I guess. <laughs> but when they slid the door to the side and gave me a degree of privacy, yeah, then I felt comfortable. Yeah. So I'd wait for that nurse, the nurse who gave me some privacy to... um to. You'd actually... like to think that would be all nurses, wouldn't you? <laughs> you, would, you would think so, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's bleak. I mean, it, it makes it sound more like prison than care doesn't it that that sort of it's such a hard thing to to work out many people i know many people have been in that situation who are very very bitter about it yeah i know i managed to damage myself quite considerably whilst i was on constant obs and if i hadn't been on it i would i would either be dead or badly mutilated and it's trying to work out that it's working out Whatever it is, it's traumatic. Yeah, being followed yeah. everywhere, not being able to turn the lights out in your room for weeks at a time is horrible. And whether it's, in my view, sometimes it has to happen. Yes. But maybe it could happen in a better way. Maybe there were some nurses who you felt comfortable being yeah, with and yeah, others yeah. who you felt very uncomfortable being with. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've been in sort of similar situations and I, I've got to say, I'm very happy that I'm here today. You know, and I've, it's been very compelling, you know, that voice to say, stop existing, stop existing. And yeah. um, so it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one. So the matter in hand, the penis dialogues. Yes. <laughs> um, do you think th- the premise is good? Do you think that, that, that men are in crisis or am I talking shit? I don't know. I think, I think we probably are. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with many of the ways in which we talk about ourselves. No. Um I don't have a clear idea of what I would want to be as a man. Yeah. I know that my vision that I get from the television is not what I find appealing. I don't like the idea of being an alpha male. No. I no. don't like the idea of um starring in action movies and killing people or, or yeah. assault crimes of young women raped and things. I yeah. don't want to watch any of that. And yet 
I do worry that um, I should be something like that, which is silly because I hate it. But a part of me says I like to be as far as I can be gentle and calm yeah. and impressed you know, and to love flowers and to love walking by the yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah. And part of me says I should really by, be, by, by, be dynamic and rushing around and getting the best jobs and changing the world in the best wonderful fashion and being a hero to everyone around me. And I don't know why I think that, because I would hate to be that person if I really was yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But... It's, it's a funny thing. I think we, we live difficult lives. I don't think... Yeah, yeah. I don't think, um, I think women have a really hard time, but I think men do too. Yes, I, yes. Um, I think, how would I describe this? In some ways, I, I'm slightly grown up in that I do more of the housework than Wendy does. In fact, I did nearly all of it. Right, Which right. I'm slightly proud of. But actually, I, I'm really quite unproud of it because actually Wendy in the house is the central person because she's the person everyone turns to for right, right. love, companionship, laughter, silliness, ridiculousness, adventures. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's it's a very traditional thing, but she provides nurture all to everyone that she meets. Right, right. And I, I'm not very sure how to do that. I I've, I struggle to have a conversation even in um even in someone's dining room, if there's more than three or four of us there. So it feels quite strange. And I do, I do sometimes envy women who are, who are very good at making friends and having circles of friends and talking and wittering and, and just finding joy in life and interest in life in a way that I'm not very good at. It sounds like you, I don't know. It sounds like well, I mean, you mentioned the media that the, the there's a, a certainly a part of you that wants to be, no, not wants to be. That you you've been almost guided towards being a bit more Andrew Tate. Um, yeah, I think I think I think I I think I have. I think it's because um, like my father was a a jet fighter pilot and stuff right, like right. His career was all about doing exciting dangerous things yeah even when he left the air force it was doing those sort of things and he did leave a trail of um slight destruction in the relationships he had and some of the relationships right. he shouldn't have had right. and i think at school at a public school which is usually very right wing right right you have a you're brought up to think that men should live a certain way and even though you know it's not how you want to live there's that clawing bit at the back of you saying i've let down myself or 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 malehood if that's such a thing in terms of not being someone able to um do all those things or even want to do those things i'm quite cautious i've done exciting things but I'm, i find them frightening I, i'm not particularly impressed by people who want to be brave no in fact that was something that wendy really taught me it was lovely when i first met her i had written a book all about some of the exploits i'd had at sea in the mountains yes yes and she very kindly said that she wasn't really interested in those sort of things <laughs> yeah a very inflated way of boasting about your prowess at everything and actually i i now agree with her i think much better is to be able to cuddle a child that's upset or yeah to make yeah someone or to um go for a walk with someone who just wants to talk with you you than to boast that you've climbed a cliff face or done whatever you say you've done 
Does that make any sense? Oh, completely, completely. So you've got this sort of almost, it's, it's, it's what your therapist would call a core belief, that, that even though the stuff around it, you've got this kind of nagging doubt, you think, no, I, this is really not what it should be. But you, in your soul, you're thinking, but that's what being a man is all about. Uh, so what, what else would you say mean, it, does it mean to be a man? What, 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 what sort of things? No, um, this is really strange because you would think I would have thought about it being a man and living in a world that is in some ways dominated by man. I, um, I, I, I prefer to, um, and I don't know whether I do it for my own safety. I prefer to just talk about how people should be with each other. Yes, yes. Um, because I think I think there are differences between men and women, but I think fundamental is a um. What I would like is a wish for mutual respect for each other. Yeah. Not bullying each other, not belittling each other, not controlling each other, respecting each other, finding joy in the people we're around with and sorting out things with them. Yeah. Working out problems together in a in as friendly a way as you can, whether you're a man or a woman. Um and I've witnessed times when that hasn't been my life. And um bitterly regret being in those situations and now I find myself in a situation where I rarely argue and if we do argue we work it out yes, together yes as as almost adults I de- I find it very hard to claim to be an adult but it is almost as an adult sure sure things out and um do it with a minimum of fuss and also recognizing some of the harms that we can cause when we're exhausted or tired or depressed or whatever it might be so <sighs> A lot of those traits, I, 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 it sounds like you, you're saying a lot of these traits are kind of gender, gender neutral. When a lot of these traits were kind of grown as we grow up, we're told that these are feminine traits and these are masculine traits, and yet you, you, you listed a whole bunch of stuff that that a lot, a lot of men would would say uh, are more feminine. So is, is is there a sort of inner battle going on with you this from this swashbuckling? hero person to this more stereotypical feminine i don't know i i think um although there's the bit in the background mm. saying i should be like those men i don't want to be and have yeah, no with yeah. I, I if that if that is as we call it feminine i i'm quite comfortable with being in that that role that's what i would like to learn to grow into more lovely rather than to um Rather than to lead parliament or whatever it is, yes, and yeah. should do that seems such a waste of time. Um, well, yeah, the, yeah, the images we're given are just so crude and so, so old fashioned. I know we really don't need to storm hills with guns blazing or not at all, or, not or at seduce all. thousands of women for some weird way of solving our insecurities. It's just a weird, weird world that we're um given presence in and expected to um almost live in but I, t- I don't know many men so i don't know whether many men share those that vision yeah, uh, yeah. i think school which was an all boys school and that teacher also um maybe put me off men quite a lot yes i have um i have very few men friends yeah, yeah. Um, and the ones that i do tend to be 
tend to be quite gentle like me. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 the same. I yeah, I yeah, respect people who value me. People, people who, you know, in my later years, I've I've kind of got into a world of telling people that I love them. You know, I don't know what that's about. Maybe I'm sort of suddenly aware of my mortality or um, something like that. And I think it's important to tell people. Uh, I, I never told my dad that I loved him and, and that's bugged the hell out of me all my life. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I feel my, myself kind of floating in, in, in that direction. Yeah, that's that's... That's something that was one of the nicest. It should have been one of my set scenes that you were saying. Yeah. Possibly the nicest thing that happened with me and my dad was very... It was almost the last time I saw him. It was the last night I saw him. Yeah. And he had Parkinson's that was getting worse. Right. We've had a lovely evening, but he had... Um, things had happened that meant he needed to go to bed. And I took him upstairs and he wasn't really capable of getting undressed. So I undressed him and put him in his jammies. Yeah. And he was lying in bed. And um, he only had three fingers on one of his hands because he had two had been chopped off by a winch accident sailing. Okay. He reached out his hand and um, he held it and said um, how much he loved me. And wow. I then replied that I loved him. And then we both burst into tears. And it was a lovely, lovely moment. Oh, it's taken beautiful. a long, long time to um, get to the point where we could see we were very different people, but we still yeah. loved him. And we forgave each other for the different things we thought we'd done to each other. Wow. So I was so, so lucky to have that moment not long before he died. Right. Yeah, that's incredible. I know I'm jumping about and it, it, it feels... Well, I have a habit of going on tangents. So oh, it, it, it just feels a bit, bit of a blunt instrument, a bit, bit, bit crude. But one of the things that you said in an email back to me, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to talk about all the, the the abuse that that men have meted out on women mainly the, you know the hundred and twenty thousand or so rapes that happen in the UK every year and that only 0.6 of a percent of these actually get as far as court and and you you quite rightfully said that well stuff happens to men as well and and again I, I guess a lot of it is at the hands of other men the, are you, are, you, are you in a position where you, you want to talk about that? or? Yes, I, I would do. Um, although I have to do this without identifying the person. Yeah. Because someone in my life, and it wasn't another man, it was a woman. Sure. Who I knew for um, quite a long time. And um, I'm, I'm currently trying to work it out. Um because it was a violent relationship. I was yeah. very used, very, very used to having glasses of wine thrown in my face or glasses thrown yeah, at me or was yeah. upturned or being punched or kicked. And um, the greatest physical pain I've ever been in was when she um, hit me with something. But I think it was... How old were you at this time? Well, um, this this was as an adult. This was in a, yeah, in a yeah. adult relationship. Um, I've got to say it in a way that wouldn't identify her because I'm sure I yeah, couldn't prove yeah. this happened without people seeing. Of course. And, um, of course. She would want to sue me if she heard me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I think 
some of the bits I'm trying to understand are the more, not so subtle, but they seemed more subtle at the time. The fact that when things went wrong and when she went silent, she would tell me that it was um, even worse because I didn't know what I'd done wrong. And if I wasn't able to understand what I'd done wrong without her telling me, then I was an even worse person than I was before. Wow. Or her telling me that I was too boring to have friends around the house. And things like that, just a general thing of being controlled and not very destructive very destructive i think it did mess me up one of the things that happens now which really annoys me is you know you know when you're having a conversation in your head with someone who you're with yeah yeah yeah. uh, and you can sort of see them too i often have that especially with with wendy and when i'm thinking about something especially if it's pleasurable an image of the person who did the thing she did to me will appear in my head just before I get into the conversation with Wendy. And it really ruins the the feeling I'm having that conversation because I see the disapproval, disapproval and the judgment in there. And it makes me it makes me uncertain. So it's almost like a PTSD kind of flashback. It's a, but, I don't know but, what but, it is. But a flashback yeah. that judges you. <laughs> it's, ah. it's something it's something that I hate. I wish it's it would go. Bloody away. mean. But it's uh, it was there were times in that relationship which were absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I I it was it I was thought, a hard time. It sounds. Did, did you looking back? Did you enter that relationship in a vulnerable place? Were, were you sort of vulnerable? Yes, to, I probably did. Yeah. I probably did. Yes. Uh, and did you stay in that relationship for for some time? Ah, yeah. So, you know, the question that, that I'm sure my listener is mo- screaming at the moment is, why, why didn't you leave sooner? It didn't occur to me. Right, um, right. First of all, I thought I should say stay because I had promised her I would love her forever. Right, right. So it was almost and a contract thought, that you'd entered into. Yeah, I thought uh, that that would be so wrong. And also, the first time I tried to leave, she... Um, said she would kill herself if I didn't come yes, back. Yes, Um I really don't know why I didn't leave. Um, you, you and, and th- thousands, millions of other people, I mean, it's, it, it, it sounds like a, an imp- almost impossible situation, especially you loved somebody and they're, they're telling that, that you're going to be responsible for their death. That must be almost impossible. But it, it, I... I this is what rape crisis are trying to get me to understand. Yeah. I, I get there sometimes and I sort of don't. I, um, I loved her for many, many years. Yeah. It was only at the very later years that I stopped loving her. Yeah. And um, I felt incredibly guilty for that. Um, hugely guilty. And so it was very, I felt I was betraying her by going. And, you know, in in some forms of domestic abuse, there's a huge risk, but um, she was quite small. Right. And when she hit me, she really rarely damaged me. She did damage me a few times. Yeah. And maybe I just thought, it doesn't matter. But then I was told by a um, a friend that a psychiatrist had heard about what was happening and had said that really my life was getting more and more at risk and I really should consider leaving. And that did influence me in leaving. Um, it just became too hard, really. But the mental um, you know, impact was... of, of of that, I mean, you, you talk about 
you know, loving and respecting each other. That doesn't sound a lot like loving and respecting somebody. No, it wasn't. Uh, that's why my being with Wendy has been such a revelation. Yes, it's like I've revelation is the I've, right I've word. A brand new life. It is. It's like I've been liberated from something. I, I have a wonderful life, but I, I would hate to. Um, I don't want to demonize, and, and I love no, people no. too. I, I think the reasons she did what she did, I don't really know, and it may have been as simple as the fact that she wasn't loved and wanted to be loved, and you could do remarkably bad things yes. when you feel rejected and abandoned, especially if you're frightened of it. I think that's one of the things about mental illness is that we, yeah. people like like me, who may have experienced trauma, we don't necessarily react in a nice, safe, lovely, victim-based way where people can say the poor thing. Yeah, Sometimes. Yeah. When we're damaged, we lash out and we're un uncomfortable to we, be with. We and, yes, yes, we explode and, in other directions. That, that can happen, could have happened with the person I was with too. Um, and maybe, and I suppose to an extent I was a victim of it. But sometimes I think um, I was a difficult person to live with. I drink far too much. Right. I'm often very, very silent. I work very, very hard, which yeah. I shouldn't so much. And also... I have this diagnosis of schizophrenia. There have been numerous occasions where I've wanted to die. Yeah. And yeah. you witness someone who you live with all the time wanting to die, then that's really, really hard to deal with. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, it, it must be nerve-wracking beyond belief. Um, so I think she went through a terrible time too. Sure, so sure. I, I do sort of resist the temptation of people to say she was abusive and it should never ever have happened and i think that's true but equally you need it nuanced perhaps right right uh, but then I, I have a feeling that as i progress through rape crisis i might get to a point where i feel slightly more anger and feel slightly um less able to forgive i don't know um do you feel like you've been holding the anger holding the anger in and going around i, I can't express it. i can't express it because of some guilt no i don't know loyalty, I, I think no, I just thought I deserved it. Right. I, I thought right. I was such a horrible person. Everything that happened to me was I deserved. Right. I mean that, that again. That sounds incredibly familiar. That kind of you know. That's why people don't leave because you know if I go to another relationship, it'll be exactly the same because that's that's exactly what who I am. That's what I deserve. Was it was it predictable? You mean the, the, what the, the violence, happened? the violence? No, it was. It was really strange. You could be eating a meal and suddenly you'd say the wrong thing. You were thinking you were doing really well. Yeah. Be a lovely conversation. and There'll be the silence. And sometimes it was very sudden. And from that silence, the table with all the mugs and plates and things on it would be turned upside down and she would storm off. But other times it was. I don't know how it happened. It would be, you did something, and I still, I'm still not very sure what I did, but I would do something wrong, and there would be a silence. It might be met initially with a glass of wine thrown in my face. Yeah. And that could, silence could carry on for days. And in the end, I would, I would sort of solve it by playing the fool yes. and asking, 
forgiveness and saying I'm really really sorry and trying to work out what I could have done yeah yeah and then she would swear at me and say well you're not forgiven but we're back again um and yeah so but I don't I don't necessarily feel angry I don't think I don't no, know no no do you think that's a, a place you, you would like to be? Do you think you know that that would be cathartic in some way? No, I don't like anger really. No, oh, she she put a lot of anger on to me, and I would I would hate to do that to another person. Um, I find anger quite sure, sure. quite frightening. Um, and I suppose that's why I find some men quite frightening because they're so good at being angry. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a. It's it's a expression of emotion that's um, allowed, perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, some. Where where do you go with that? Where <clears throat> did so? She's abusive. Did you find yourself? Um, trying to become this this person that you believe she wanted you to be but but because she was so unpredictable the person that you were trying to be i don't know didn't really exist i know i was frightened to say the wrong thing i don't think i had the wits about me to try to change myself yeah yeah um and so it just carried on. And um, then it didn't. I, I remember there was a distinct time when I was sitting there and I thought, actually, I no longer love this person. Right. And then right. it was almost like something turned in my, my mind and I knew. Like that, a, a switch um, flicked. I knew eventually I would leave. I think it took another two or three years before I did. Wow. And after that, I began to be slightly more assertive when things went wrong, which um, resulted in more anger and unhappiness. Um, so by the time I finally left, what did I do when I finally left? It was difficult. There was a, a huge assault by yeah, email yeah. phone after that. And she would, you know, she'd send me letters saying that, um, that, I, that um, I was, psycho as she called it she yeah said, yeah it's very easy to get that, was, that label yeah. yeah and she said being schizophrenic meant that i was completely incapable of love Bloody she God. said that um my worry that i was the most evil person in the world was um actually completely true those sorts of things so those months after i left were um were very very oh, difficult Graham, that's so destructive i i i can't imagine what the, the other thing that's sort of nagging at the back of my mind is what, what do you think it was more difficult for you to ask for help because you know it, 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 most domestic violence is men perpetrating on violence on women and and you're you're you've got this notion of what it is to be a man in the back of your head and and being assaulted on a regular basis by a woman a small woman at that Partly, part, the, the main thing, I, I do remember one particular incident when I was in hospital. Yeah. And um, I'd been let out on what, what's called pass to stay in her company over a weekend. Right. 
And during that weekend, she smashed a coffee table over my knee. And when I came back to the ward, I was limping. Mm. And the nurse asked me what had happened. I told her. And then the psychiatrist asked me, and I, I was assuming they might do something about it. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. this isn't really what should be happening. And, and he just said, um, I was just a very complex case. When really I was hoping he would say, we're not going to discharge you into her care again. When in fact he discharged her sooner than he should, sooner than he wanted to, because that person had wanted me discharged early. And I, I did feel totally let down by him. I didn't want to speak to him ever after that. I thought um, if I'd been a woman and was limping after being assaulted. That was my question, was yes. Well, how, yeah. how, how do you think that would pan out if you'd been a woman assaulted by a man? Yeah. That's... Oh. You, you, I don't know. I, I, I think we've both seen this, but at times when we expect the uh, professionals to step up to the plate, very often they just don't. Do, do, do you think because of um, your label, they perhaps didn't believe you? It didn't occur to me that they didn't, but yeah. maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's difficult. So we, we have 850,000 incidents of, of domestic violence every year in, in the UK. And it just feels like we've, kind of taking our eye off the ball that, that that this is occurring and 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 you're right to say that it's not just um men perpetrators it's it'll be fe female perpetrators on 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 men and also sexual assault it, 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 it's interesting that you're going to the rape crisis and yet you know the law says that a, a woman can't rape a man because it has to be penetrative sex and yet the assault it can be i don't know as long lasting aren't we yeah well rape crisis certainly in scotland um deal with domestic abuse as well as sexual crimes right and you're right when i when i first heard a rape crisis i assumed and this is a horrible thing to say about about the organization i assumed they hated men because we're so renowned for being so horrible to yeah. women yeah and yeah and it was only through work when I was given a leaflet to pass to my network that I realised that they would see men in men too. And I wrote back to Rape Crisis and said, do you really see men? And I said, yes, of course we do. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. Isn't that and funny? The first, the first time I went to the building, I was really nervous. I thought yeah, if yeah. I belonged there, I might encounter a woman who had been badly treated by a man and seeing someone big like me come into the door would terrify her. Yeah, yeah sort of thought in the back of their minds the um people helping me would not want me really in the room they're just doing it because they had to but it's been the exact opposite of that it's been um it's been unlike any of the help i've ever got on the nhs it's um i i, I can't describe how it is i'm just accepted for who i am that validation i, I can speak i'm validated it feels like a liberation I can talk about anything, and it doesn't have to be about all the bad things. No, I can, no. I can talk about my work or a grumble I have about a friend. And as I've gone, I've noticed some of my attitudes changing. And it's that small bit of saying, 
you can come here as long as you need to and when you're ready to go then that's fine but don't you don't have to achieve any goals you don't have to meet a target you don't have to recover to a certain place you're just here and you can take what you want from it and we will support you how you want and that has been so utterly wonderful um it's 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 funny because you know, having been a social worker that there's this absolute snobbery about what what, what we call voluntary agencies that 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 that, that you, you you know they're not as opposed to statutory agencies uh, that they're going to be somehow less good and that the the service is is going to be less therapeutic or less something um, and and I'm in a very similar position to you I, I see an organisation called Safeline who uh, work with men who've been sexually abused. And they're astonishingly good. Um, and the validation, as you say, is just incredible. So, so you think your experience with the NHS is, is it a far more medical model? Is it they 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 want to lay, they they want to hang on to the label? What, what what where do they stumble? Um. It's it's hard to say because I've been seeing people since my twenties yes. and I'm sixty. Um, I think some some staff are very overpressured and very busy. Yes, and also maybe come along with attitudes saying, "Here's Graham. He's had a psychotic illness for nearly forty years. Not much is going to change. We'll give him his jag and." Um, ask him a few questions, which he'll probably not reply to, and that's it. But there have been some nurses who have been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, in particular, when I first came here, um, I'll try not to make this too long a story, but I was really cross with her because she, she started off her first time she met me to give me my jag saying, I, I assume you probably don't want to talk too much because I know many people such as you really don't want to speak to us. And I, I had been all prepared to speak to her. I had lots right, to say. Right, right. So I shut up immediately and tried not Such to speak as you. Yeah. But she would come along and Wendy's children were quite young at the time and she would sit in the sitting room and I might not be saying much, but she would be talking to Wendy about trips to Amsterdam and she'd be talking about spa days and the children might be watching a Disney film on the telly. And it was, I, I, for a time, I had no idea why she was doing it. I was thinking, it's nice that she's here. She's a really, really nice person, but um, <laughs> what's she actually doing? And it was only some time later that I began to realise that she had got to know me as a person. So yeah. when she took me into the kitchen, my jag, I might let slip a few things about how I was feeling. So she was well aware when I wasn't coping and well aware when I was doing really well. Yeah, yeah. She didn't need to ask me all the questions I hate getting asked about symptoms and mood sure, and all that sure. stuff. She just knew. And that meant that I trusted her enough that if anything did go wrong, I felt I could speak to her and get the right treatment or the right reaction yeah yeah um so i found her she she was like the third sector in a way she she was treating yes. me as a woman i wasn't a case she she even went as far as saying she looked forward to coming to see us and those those things are really important because i often feel feel that um the people helping me don't really want to see me they so see you as that. some kind of burden yeah and so she she was really good but there have been some who have been difficult. And in COVID, it was, you know, in lockdown, it was really weird. Yeah. They'd be all masked up and everything at the other end of the room. And 
you would see them for the 30 seconds it took them to give you a drag and then go away again. Yeah, I, I mean, a, 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 a dehumanising experience becomes even more dehumanising behind yeah. a, a mask and... Mm. Yeah, crikey. But there, have, there have been some really good ones and, and some psychiatrists who I've, I really do think have saved my life. Yeah, yeah. Others who I've been quite upset about and some work, other workers who I've been upset about. But um, I haven't always had bad experiences. And currently I go to um, a well-being hub called Jeans Bothy, which is just wonderful. Nice. I, I love that. It's just for anyone. And we have a lovely time. You just go there. You don't wear a mask. You don't do anything. You're just there and accepted. And because you don't have to be anything, you can laugh and relax. Yes. So, so what, what is it? I mean, describe it. It's it's a, a house across the road from the um, health centre in Helensborough. Yeah. A big sitting room, stroke office, a kitchen dining room, and a couple of other rooms. And it's a base for all sorts of things. I go there for the photography group on the Saturdays and for the creative writing on the Fridays. Sometimes I go there to pick up food that's been sent there by the supermarkets. Yeah. Um, I also go for walks and I contribute to their newsletter. But other people will go for bingo or for walking or for upcycling or recycling or going to the journey in town where they can go to a keep fit thing which is just for people with mental health problems or going to a private viewing at the tower which is the cinema on town so people who don't like being in company can see films in company that they're comfortable with it's all these sorts of things there's always things happening we're always having exhibitions this saturday there was selling works of art in the high school um it sounds got... lovely it sounds absolutely adorable it's really lovely. There should be one of these in every town. And of course, there's workers there to speak to, but we all provide support to each other. Yeah, yeah. And the people running many of the activities, some of them started off as um, sessional workers brought in to run a session and have become members of the Bothy. Yeah. Acknowledging they have mental health problems and they actually want to be a part of the Bothy as a member too. And other times members start running sessions because they've moved in a different direction and quite like, like running running the sessions too so there's that mix up of professionalism and lived experience where none is very clear at all the um do you self-refer to this yeah so you just bowl up and it's it's there, and it's there. yeah <clears throat> it's it's interesting because while you were talking i was thinking that, that there's a, a kind of pressure on you with with um mental health services with the nhs is you, you, you you can be too ill or not ill enough. And, and again, it's a, it's a tightrope. And have you, have you experienced that with mental health services, that they'll, they'll withdraw services or they'll give you services? You, you have to be just right. I know a lot of people that happens to. Yeah. I'm in the really, really weird position that um, I get lots of help because I'm on a um, compulsory treatment order. Sure, sure. So um, I probably get more help than I should do and I'm sometimes not willing to get the help. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm aware of many people, especially people with personality disorders who are denied help. Yeah. I find that, I find that quite obnoxious, especially because so many people diagnosed with um, personality disorders or whatever we call them nowadays have yeah. had some trauma in the past. Yeah. I've always strongly felt when I look at some of my friends who have had the most unimaginably harsh childhoods 
But it's completely reasonable why they behave in the way they do, even though it's incredibly difficult for anyone to accept it. Yeah, yeah. And that as a society, we have a duty to make reparation for absolutely destroying their lives. Yeah, that's a brilliant phrase. We have a duty to make reparation. We do. We do. It's um, it's funny. You know, I, I often think of Pudsey Bear and, you know, uh, people uh, on Childline throw money at Pudsey Bearing and is it great? And then years later, you know, we the the same children who've been abused sexually, physically, or emotionally, um, we 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 label them with personality disorder. And yeah. and what what would the public have to say about that? Do you think? Well, I think I think we. We do. I was initially diagnosed with a personality disorder. Yeah. I, I think um, we do sometimes go through things which cause damage to us. I think to deny the damage would yeah. be silly, and yeah. to deny the behaviour it causes would be silly. Yeah, yeah. But to put the judgment that accompanies that label onto people is inexcusable. It's remarkable, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's uh... <sighs> so men. I think we. we, we... Do you think the expectations placed on men? Do you think the the the, the notion of manliness that you described in in the, the media that you watched? It, it, do you think that's? I mean, I mean the the more I read about men, uh, the more I thought this 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 is nuts. We, we why is nobody putting all these bits together? You know, the fact that ninety five percent of the prison population are men. Um, something like forty percent of that population are functionally illiterate. Um, similarly, ninety-five percent of CEOs are men. Um, vast majority. So and also amongst prisoners, the majority of them will have mental health problems and addiction problems yeah. too. Um, yeah, I, I'm not clever enough or knowledgeable enough to know why that is, but I will blame a great deal on society. Um, and I don't know. I don't know whether we are different as men. Maybe that is a way we react when we're confronted by difficulty. The nature really and nature nurture argument. You know, yeah, that sort of thing. I have no idea. But um, the men, the men I've I've met who've been in prison with mental health problems have tended to have had very high expectations put on them about what being a man is. Yes, and have had very bleak times in their lives and a great deal of blame and judgment around them um and very little that um supports the incredible people they can be um it's, it tends to be a feeling of giving up on people and blaming and judging and having no hope for them so it must be very hard for them to break free of that system um especially when sometimes I think services that might help with addiction or mental health problems are even more difficult if you have a criminal background. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just another judgment on top of... It's almost like um, the societal norms and values uh, of what it is to be a man, but also this kind of, you know, you, you look after yourself. You know, it, it, we we are all individuals. You know, when uh, I mean, I'm, it, it always rattles in my head that Margaret Thatcher said, "You know, there's no such thing as society." Do you, do you, do you think this notion of men feeling that they should be self reliant 
weighs heavily. It's certainly a popular image, isn't it? Yeah. I, I remember um, this. This sounds. I'm, I'm going on a tangent again. You're on you go. I remember hearing that um, many people think that farmers, for instance, need to be resilient, stoic, yeah. stay good at everything, not cause problems, not be emotional. Yes. Yet they have a huge rate of um, suicide and mental illness. Massive, yeah. Maybe because they're very isolated and very far from help and um, are maybe not encouraged to... Um, to believe that they, they they have a right to help or even not even encouraged to think that it's normal to be utterly fed up with the world sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I, I suppose it's it's one of these sort of circular things. I mean, I can't imagine where I'd have ended up if I was just constantly listening to that voice in my head that was negative, that was saying, you know, you're not good enough, you're you're not manly enough, you're not this, you're not that. Um with you know, the idea of just going up and down in a bloody tractor all day, 12, 12 hours a day, and having that voice, that must be impossibly hard. I imagine so. I don't know what it's like. I've never been a farmer. Yeah, but it's just, uh, yeah, just, uh, just uh, uh, imagining. So, I don't know, it's... it's the, the fact as well that, you know, 80% of, of hate crimes are men. Um... <laughs> Most most fatal car accidents are men. Most, um, you know, uh, addictions, whether it be anything from gambling to crystal meth, are men. What's going on, Graham? Graham, come on! <laughs> I have no idea why we do this. I don't know, but it's it goes back to what you said at the beginning. We are in crisis because those figures that you you gave me are so alarming and I haven't a clue why we get into those situations I don't know whether it's who we are whether it's our society whether it's our culture I really don't know um but it'd be good to do something about it I'm I yeah I'm you know I'm determined to bloody make a noise and pull these things together one of the, one of the things I, I I was just recently thinking is that a lot of our role models are good bad examples I mean, hmm. Boris Johnson is, um, technically speaking, a lying bastard. Um, you know, a, a lot of young men look up to figures like Andrew Tate, hmm. um, which is bizarre. They also look up to footballers who, you know, by and large, that you know, the 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 great athletes and 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 all that, but. Very often, they're complete liars. That you know, if somebody accidentally rubs against them, they act like they've been shot. Um, so we're being brought up in a world where we're being told that lying is bad, and then the the very people that we look up to just habitually make stuff up. I uh, yes, <laughs> I think. I suppose that affects all of us, men and women. Yeah. It's very strange to be part of a society where people in power and influence can tell complete untruths and have no consequences to it. I don't understand why a lot of them aren't in jail. Yes. I, don't, yeah. I, I thought it was really, really weird, especially well, especially in America, but um, here too, I, I find it bewildering what um, 
those people who say they're trying to make a better life with the forest through politics or whatever yeah, it might yeah. can do without seeming to worry about how they do it and the consequences of it. I don't think that just affects men. I think it affects women. Yes, I think if we yes. lose trust in, in the world we're a part of. I, I find our, our world a um, very frightening and harsh place to be in now and really fear for it, for the, for the young children growing up. Um, I, I do worry how, that, how they'll manage, although they do seem so switched on that maybe they'll solve it in ways that we never were able to. That sort of leads to two questions. So has has this all panned out the way you expect? I mean, you, you, you're 60, and then, yeah, I'd suggest you're 28. Uh, but, but um, did, I mean, I, I guess I know the answer, but the trajectory of your life and, and how you've ended up today, is, is that what you expected? Is that what you hoped for? No, it's not what I expected. Um, I think I had no idea what I expected, but I think um, when I was sent away to boarding school, I was expected to become successful in a conventional way and probably live in um, quite a nice house with a family and dogs in um, somewhere in the south of England and have dinner parties and things like that. And So a professional, uh, a lawyer, yeah, doctor. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I, I never became remotely that. I, n I don't have any qualifications apart from my A-levels. Right. Uh, I, I don't see my son, and that's probably the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Yeah. And maybe justified in not wanting to see me. And yet, in the last 10 years, my life has transformed... Uh, I would have thought when I was younger that this would be a time when I would be sort of winding down. Yeah. Um, some of my work things I do are quite high profile and, and feed my ego a little bit, okay. although some of the anger some people feel about what I do is not so nice. I'm in the most wonderful family I could ever have imagined being in. Um, I can actually call myself a writer because I have some published books. Yes, you and do. Yeah. Really weird. That, that, that really... It's it's really strange the um the pretensions we have, but it feels very very nice to be able to say to say to some people I'm a writer, even if I don't I don't even come really from it. Again, validating, isn't it? It's sort of that, that kind of this is this is who I am. And and the simple things we have dash the dog. If I look look out the window at the moment, I can see um uh, the rabbits in, in their rabbit cage. Yeah. So yeah. I do have the life that I my parents had set out for me to have. Um, I've never earned a big income, um, but I am. I still often think I want to die. Yeah. That's a part of my life. But yeah. I think think it far less regularly nowadays. And sometimes when I'm alone in the house and say I want to die, I actually counter it and try to say to myself, I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, big move from where I was a, a few years ago. And yeah, yeah I, I woke up in France on holiday with my family in a very, very strange Airbnb, which I won't go into detail about. And I'd had the most horrendous nightmare. I knew I wasn't going to sleep for the rest of the night. But then about four in the morning, I just couldn't stop grinning. I thought, here am I lying in bed in this really surreal situation. Yes. yes. And my my adopted family are with me and they love me and they're all in the next room and there couldn't be anything better than this. So I am 
truly very, very short, fortunate. So you've taken a circuitous route and it feels like you've kind of arrived at a really lovely place. I have. It wasn't what I expected at all, but it's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, What what could be better than we, Charlotte, who dyed her hair for the first time last night and was her shoes with all sorts of super super Mario patterns for the cinema tonight, coming up to me in the morning and giving me a hug to say she loves me. That's that's just the loveliest. Priceless. Absolutely priceless. The world has that uh, has, has that gone the way you'd expect? You know, where are the flying yeah. cars, for example? I think I I despair of the world. Yeah, I, I can't believe how how much badness there is, how much hatred there is. I can't believe the cynical way that people in power manipulate the world. Yeah, and yeah. a basic like global warming. We we don't even. Do anything about it seems like somehow it's odd it, it is um horrible you just you, you wherever you look there are people behaving abominably and they have a huge amount of power yes and i usually i hope to think that they're doing it for the best of motives like i, I played a part in legislation whether we've got it right or not yeah. i've had i hope i've had the very best of motives but i can't see how people in sudan or russia or places like that, or for that matter, America. Yeah. Think that they have the best of motives. I can't, I don't understand how they can think that they are being moral, kind people. I don't think they, and maybe that's me alienating them, but I don't understand the way some people think about other communities or women or people from other diverse communities. It seems filled with bigotry sometimes. And yeah. That, yeah. That makes me very, very sad. Um, I mean, I, I, I suppose we could look quite close to home as well. That, that you know, we, I, I always think people ask me about Scotland and and how it differs from England. And and yeah, I think of Scottish Parliament. Uh, I know there's a few hiccups going on just now, but it always felt like it was of the people for the people. Whereas Westminster, I don't know what bloody Westminster is. I. Uh, I, I I spoke to Tommy Shepherd uh, on one of one of the walks, and uh, he's a, an MSP. And I said, "So now now you're there. What, what's it What's it like?" And he said, "It's it's like a pantomime inside a museum." And I thought, "Wow, that that's just in, incredible. It describes it so so well." But it is that kind of self serving. Mm-hmm. But it, but it, it's almost cancerous in its appetite of looking after themselves. So they they have no notion of the future. They they want to devour what they can now. They don't care if they kill the host body. They they just want to just mm-hmm. have the next thing tomorrow. It, That's weird. It's yeah. It's it's a mess. What do we do? What can we do? Um. I don't know. Um, in more and more, I am suspicious of people who have answers. Uh, yes. um, and even more suspicious of people who have visions about what we need to make the world a better place. Yeah. It turns out that it has a side effect, which is even worse. Yeah, weird ripples, yeah. Um, so what would we do? I suppose... And I, this is not 
by any means a good thing perhaps, but um, I'm learning that um, much of my life has been about making a difference for people with mental health problems. Yeah, yeah. Which has been really important and has resulted in changes. But more and more, I think probably the most important things were, like you say, the conversations walking beside a river. Yeah, yeah. Coffee together. That sometimes we make more difference by respecting each other, by being kind to each other. And that um, my example of working sort of 60 or 70 hour weeks um, not being present for my family yeah, yeah, and that sort of thing and being so determined the world needs to be a better place actually was working the, the wrong way around that um, I should have respected my own mental health I should have um, mm. not been so determined to see a change that maybe change can happen cooperatively that there aren't enemies anywhere really that um the people we often think are getting it completely wrong in the world of mental health can often turn out to be very similar to us, but they just haven't actually mentioned they have mental health problems. I think um, I think taking away the ease with which we judge people and stereotype people is really important. Yeah, yeah. And even though earlier I was talking about people like Trump and saying I can't believe what they're like. Yes. All yes. I see is their media image. I of don't course know. you do. You've got no but, idea what they're like at all. And so I, all all I can really do is hope that as I grow older, that I become slightly more adult and treat the people around me with courtesy and respect and kindness. And if I can do that, then maybe other people can do that. And if I can stop needing to prove I am a good person by saying something in a really clever way hmm. or winning an argument or showing that our experience is worse than that experience and yes. deserves from other people then I think for me that's that's a route forward I think um my route is a very personal one where I just want to become a kinder person yeah I, I want to learn how to talk to my friends when I really have no idea how to talk to them and I want to be there for them when they need me to be there for them, that sort of thing. And I want to learn how to make friends for that matter. Sure, simple. Sure. That. And that ambition to be respected as a voice for people is a bit meaningless sometimes. It's important what we do, but um, what we do in a genuinely human way is much more important. We have to work out why we want to be a voice before we... um. Yeah, but well, I should have worked that out before I started trying to be a voice for other people. Oh, it's <laughs> it's complex. The, 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 there was a guy I, I spoke with just recently. He talked about sphere of influence, mm -hmm. and uh, it, basically, saving the world should really start with the people you're with. Yeah, and I think sometimes we do forget that we we forget that you know loving the people around us and being kind and gentle to the people around us. You know that 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 has to be our primary concern. I'm, I'm, there's a little bit of me, makes me think that the, I love social media. I think social media is a great thing. I think it, it connects people and it, it you, you you can connect with lots of voices. But it's also a very very toxic uh, place uh, uh, as as well. And I, I worry that perhaps we're concerned about millions and billions of people and and. Perhaps as humans, we weren't quite designed to do that. That that 
maybe we're only able to care and support and love x amount of people that that we we can support and and really worry about them because otherwise we start i don't know misfunctioning yeah i think we do i also think that um the things that are going on in the world yeah we we only hear partial accounts of them we do. and most we of do. us when we hear those accounts don't try to look any further yes i think um all sorts of issues are far, far more complicated and difficult than we think. Yes, yes. And um, it may be very easy for someone like me to say Putin should go back to Russia and everything would be lovely. Yeah, yeah. But to happen, you would need, I don't know what you would need. I don't know how that would happen, but yeah, um, yeah. somehow it might happen one day and that would be lovely, but it wouldn't require the efforts of thousands and thousands of people and cultures yeah, changing yeah. So, so on and for me um maybe at least i can be grown up enough to say that i don't have the intelligence or knowledge to understand even what the solutions might be sure sure let alone anything else except to say when i see people being brutalized throughout the world i find it very sad yes but sometimes it feels like we're spectators that 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 how we feel about that, you know, say if the media wasn't there, we we wouldn't know that that was going on, and and perhaps you know, and, and even fifty years ago, maybe longer than fifty years ago, we 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 didn't know any of that was going on. We we didn't have a wider perspective of the world. Um, I, I kind of with my walk, I, I look back to two places Noidart and the Isle of Egg and they both each at the time had a population of around 80 Mm -hmm. and that seemed to function incredibly well you know that there was enough people there to look after you and care for you and for you to care about and for you to talk about and get annoyed at and it felt like that was a reasonable amount of people but but I I don't know where I'm going with that you know (laughs) You know, <laughs> for, forbade people from gathering groups more than eighty. Then, then, I I don't know. Um, <laughs> you couldn't have a psychiatric hospital or even a safe house in a population of eighty, though. It'd be difficult, wouldn't it? That's right. That's right. But but the the population of eighty perhaps is the safe house. You know, maybe perhaps is the that psychiatric support is you know that 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 people can be compassionate and loving. For that, That's am- true. for that amount of people, perhaps. Although being cynical, if you're seen as the um, demon within that group of 80 people, your life could be quite unpleasant. You're utterly fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd be doomed. Yeah, you, you'd, you'd be the witch. Um, yeah. No, you, you have a very, you make a very, very strong, strong point. Crikey. So, <sighs> what I've been asking people, again towards the end of our conversation is um what what commitment could you make i, 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 I if you accept the premise that men are in crisis can you make a commitment to change that already do you feel you're well committed to making that change in the world or, or, or in your social circle in your sphere of influence i think what what i could say is um I'm currently writing 
yeah um, my next thing i don't know what what it's going to turn out to be right or even if it will be um publishable but i'm writing about domestic abuse and men yes yeah. and um i would hope it could show some of the completely bewildered feelings we can have when we enter into situations where power is very unequal yes um and maybe that would help maybe that would help a man who is not even sure whether he's being abused yes, realizes yes. he actually needs help or a man who has had horrendous experiences believe that rape crisis is there for them and that they're allowed their services too things like that might make small differences it sounds like it would and, and uh, perhaps shifting the shame because mm. i imagine in in, in men i that, that that the shame i mean i, I know myself the the shame is massive. If only I had, the person is smaller than me. Surely I, I am physically strong enough too. Yeah. Um, but but for you to be talking about normalising it, I guess, and and that sounds like it'd be incredibly powerful. Yeah, I've got to write it first, though. <laughs> so where are you at with it? Um, I've written about twenty-five thousand words. Right. How do you write? So do you, do you write a, a a structure and then you start? So it's like it's like a sketch and then you start coloring in, or how how does it? My my first two books I just wrote. Right. I started, wrote, and then ordered. Right. This one has got slightly more order to it, um, but not too much, and it needs more order because it's um. It's a, a fictional book, and right. I keep on oh, getting. Right. I keep on forgetting where the characters live and things. So, do you forget the names sometimes as well? I do, I've got those all written down. I have to keep on referring to my list for their names, and I have to try to remember what their work is and these things. And but um, otherwise, that there, there's very little order. I, I can only write at odd periods when when um, we're not busy with work or the children sure, or, the sure. or whatever. Um, so it's a, a stop-start thing, but um, I, I do like it when I have a, a day and there's no one around and ah, I can start you, going, and that's you, good. You can drift off and get to know your characters again. Mm. I think that would be incredibly valuable. But why, why did you go down the fictional route as opposed to the sort of, I don't know, the colder face of it, the, the, the personal experience? Because... Well, to be to be totally honest, I don't know how the women who were so good at doing the Me Too stuff yeah. managed to do that without being prosecuted themselves when yeah. they couldn't prove what had happened. Yeah. I couldn't prove what happened to me in real life. And without being able to prove it, I think I could be liable to some sort of lawsuit. That that, that surely that's where the legal system really caves in on itself. You know, with you know, I'm thinking about you know, 120,000 rapes happening every year, domestic violence at 850,000, and and so few people getting prosecuted because they say it's a he he said she said scenario. Mm. That can't be good enough. No, I don't know what the solution is, but it's not good enough. No. Yeah, I, well, maybe if we can start, I don't know, exploring 
exploring that. Do, do, do you find with the fiction you're able to explore questions that you weren't a, able to explore in your own life? Yeah, it's, that, it's slightly easier. Yeah, it's slightly easier because, um, yeah, you can make things happen that illustrate a point that yes. some real life doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound really useful. I'm really looking forward to reading it. I want it on my desk on Monday morning, please. Oh, <laughs> um, is there anything I, I haven't asked you? Is there anywhere, any tangents that I've left unexplored? Um, I could ask you a question. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think we have talked about this, but um, my impression is that many men, especially men in um, heterosexual couples, yes. have very few a very limited friendship network. Yes. Um, and I worry about that. Certainly I do. I find it quite hard to make friends outside of coupledom. Right, right. Um, and I think that's not good for anyone. Yes, um, yes. When I think of Wendy and her wide, wide circle of friends who yeah. will always be there for her and who she's known since childhood, and I look at some of the men I know who really know very few people and only a few of those very well there's a lot of that isn't there it, it does feel quite isolating and quite lonely and may may explain some of the um sadness we can get into because when you're just lost within yourself it's um quite difficult yeah um, you immediately made me think of men's sheds i don't know if you come across them they, oh yes of course yeah uh yeah. but again that uh, I don't. I don't think we're reaching as half as many of the people that that need to be reached. I think there's an awful lot of isolation, as you say, and we we need to work hard at that. And I don't know. With I don't know. There's a lot of people who are illiterate. They're, they're technologically illiterate, and they don't have have that ability to use the equipment. I think. Charities and organisations are quite guilty of. They believe if they're supporting people if they go online, and and they provide an online service. And a lot of people find the whole online experience so desperately alienating that it, that it's not of any use to them. So, if we're going to do something, we need to reach out to people in a way that's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. um, bugger if I know. <laughs> but but you know i think th that's one of the things i, I want to do with this i, I want to have as many conversations with with men as I, I i can to to try and get some kind of notion of what's going on in my head and then take it on the road and then meet men and talk to men mm -hmm. and and you know much in the way that the vagina monologues went on the road and 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 spoke to women we we i don't know if you ever went to see the vagina monologues it, it, it's a fascinating experience if you want to be a lone man sitting amongst uh, 300 women. It's a very, very weird experience. And you, you talk about not being able to pee. Uh, where you're I'm in the toilet in the theatre where, where women are just cascading into the men's toilets with me standing there going, well, I suppose I'm going to have to wash my hands now. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird, but, but we have... We have to reach out. We have to have these conversations, and how we access people. We have to use all the media's that's available. The, the newspapers, perhaps television. You know these these things. You know, 
the, the, the things that ordinary people use and, yeah. he, and hear what's important to them and, and hear about what's hurting them and, and why they feel isolated and how they got there. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it feels like... It feels embryonic. And I'm really pissed off that I'm 58, you know? Because <laughs> I, I, I really think I, I would really like to be doing this when I was 30 and, and sort of throwing myself into it because then I... I I'd have a longer run at it. So there's a there's a real flavour of slight desperation. Well, not, not desperation, that's wrong. Urgency. The, 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 and I don't want to save the world. I just want to... Yeah. I, I want to alert people, I, get people to think about what's going on and, and perhaps, I don't know, joining me on a bit of a, a wonder, a journey of some such. About the good. I hope I encounter you on moments of the oh, you, you Yeah, I have no doubt that I'll hunt you down. As long as you don't bugger off to Spain again. Yeah, I think that's what... And isn't that what happened last time? Uh, as, as I approached, you were living in Nairn at the time. Uh, yeah. I don't know where I went. I could have gone. I did go to Spain in those years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work, so it could have been that, yeah. Mm. Right. Okay. I, I'm. I'm going to call it there. This. This has been lovely. We went to places I had no idea we'd go to. Uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate your your, your time. Do you, do you mind hanging around just for a bit afterwards, just to sort of say, yes, say farewell? So I'll 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 sign off there and I'll say thanks ever so much, uh, Gray Morgan. You've been fantastic. Thank you. Becalmed in the middle of the Sargasso Sea, with stars glowing up above and dolphins zipping through phosphorescent plankton, is, a, is an image that will stay with me forever. Huge thanks to Graham for, well, just being Graham. I have very little, uh, little to add. Uh, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know. If you didn't, tell me why. Next week, I'm taking a bit of a, a detour from interviewing folk. I've got about a bazillion people lined up, give or take, but I'd like to share some thoughts, not all mine, about where we're going and what we're doing. Please feel free to pitch in if you'd like to be part of that. You can find me lurking around on Twitter at Dialogues Penis, or you can email me at thepenisdialogues at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Chris Young, and you've been rather fabulous. I'll see you next Tuesday.